All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing's nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth-building market insights. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode 95 of Bull Bear Radio. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, I'm Rick Kondrasik, your host for Bull Bear Radio. Uh, today, it's brought to you by Psy, WBI's innovative TAMP solution that can change how your wealth management firm manages risk and return in portfolios. For more information and to learn more, please go to WBIinvestments.com and schedule a demo, and our team will be happy to help you. With me today, we have President of WBI Technologies, Matt Schreiber, and WBI's CEO and Co-Portfolio Manager, Don Schreiber, Jr. Remember, everybody, our goal with Bull Bear Radio is to have fun, but really to stimulate conversation around the markets, the opportunities and the risks that they present at times. So let's have fun and let's enjoy, you know, the next 15 to 20 minutes. And we'll be bringing you news, thoughts and stories every week to Bull Bear Radio. But before we launch into our agenda today, Matt is a big, big South Carolina alum, football fan. And I have to ask him, what do you think about the selection for your new head coach. Oh, you know, uh, Rick, thanks. I mean, new, new year, new host here. So I'm relinquishing the duties here. So, uh, uh, on hosting. So thanks Rick for joining us. And, uh, you know, as far as a coach goes, uh, I kind of like the hire. I like Shane Beamer. He's a, you know, he's got a good pedigree. He's been learning about, uh, you know, coaching college football since, uh, he was in diapers uh, spent a lot of time, um, you know, on various sec staffs early in his career, jumped over to Steve Spurrier's staff, uh, during the years where we won 11 straight few years in a row, uh, you know, and then went to, uh, uh, be with his dad for uh, quite a few years, uh, and, and worked under him at Virginia tech for, uh, quite a few years. And, and, and then, uh, joined Kirby smart staff when they went to the national championship, um, right, right when we, uh, he left Saban and then, uh, you know, has had a really, uh, you know, good run at Oklahoma. Um, so, uh, I, I like it. I think he's a, a little bit of an underdog hire. Uh, he didn't have the head coaching experience, uh, that, you know, some people coveted, but I like the experience and track record he's had. He's been a lot around a lot of winning programs, not just South Carolina, but he knows what it takes to win. And so far those, uh, couple of, uh, you know, uh, assistant coaching hires, uh, look pretty good. Um, and, uh, I'm excited. It's, it's about recruiting right now, I think for uh, coach Beamer and, uh, you know, he's got some good talent on board. He'll just have to get a little bit more and get the, the, the cupboard stocked up a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, a little bit deeper, you know? Well, I'm, I'm happy for you. I, I know you love the Gamecocks. So, uh, I'm a Spartan myself, uh, and I have, 
uh, a lot of interest in this upcoming BCS championship game because Nick Saban was a coach uh, at Michigan State back in the 80s before yeah. he moved on to LSU. And uh, he couldn't share the spotlight with Tom Izzo. Uh, there's only room for one big cheese in the tent and Nick needs it to be him. And he's accomplished many great things. But uh, I got to tell you, uh, I'm not a big Ohio State fan, but I'm going to be pulling for them against Alabama. And uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I got to believe you're probably SEC followers, so I won't I, hold I, it against you. I actually would love to see Ohio State win. Um, and uh, I was really surprised at the uh, stout uh, showing that they had against Clemson. I mean, it was wow, awesome. Wow, what, awesome. What? And I think that they might have the juice to take on uh, Bama. You know, uh, it would be nice to see uh, Bama get their butt kicked. I'm just tired of seeing them win yeah. all the time. I mean, what Sarkeesian's done has went next level with that offense, though. So, I mean, they got a potent offense. Uh, uh, really difficult to stop. We've seen that for a couple years at South Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, they're tough. Devonta Smith just won the Heisman. They had two Heisman Trophy candidates on the same team. But Justin Fields looked like a candidate. So, uh, you're going with Bama, Don? No, I'm going with Ohio. State. You're going with Ohio, Ohio State. State for the win. You're baby. going to Ohio State. My new best friend. Oh, Don. I love oh you. man. I don't know that I can do that. I, I, I just don't see how, uh, how they stop that offense. It's, it's tough. I think it's going to be a shootout, especially if Justin Fields gets hit in the ribs. I mean, you break a rib and, and the guy's going to go insane. So I, well, <laughs> we, we got another week, uh, you know, to wait here or, you know, next Tuesday, we'll see what the, yeah, but you're, you, both you guys are locking in Ohio state. We're yep, hoping. Absolutely. Okay. I'm the under, I I'm always an underdog, uh, uh, you know, favor. And I'm, I'm usually a Saban hater, but he's the master, man. He's the master of, of I don't know of, how, I don't know how they, they keep those monsters on uh, uh, Alabama healthy <sighs> for the entire season. I mean, how do they do that? I don't know, man. Everybody else gets beat up. They get, you know, they're down to their uh, third stringer. The, the talent's the so year. deep, dude. The talent's oh so God. deep. That's what happens. The talent's just, just too dang deep, dude. You know, um, I, I'm I'm leaning towards making this thing unanimous, but I think I got to make it interesting, and I'll, I'll go with Bama. I'll go All with right, Bama. I'm All going right. SEC. It, since this isn't a uh, sports casting event here, uh, podcast, we better get to the yeah. We better get to the meat. We better get to the meat. Right. To the meat. What that's everybody's a, listening for. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, as promised at the beginning, uh, what we'd like to do is if Matt could share. Uh, a little bit of insight and data uh, as to how 2019 turned out. Uh, I know we had this conversation on a prior episode, but now we have year-end numbers. And Matt, can you share some relevant uh, uh, information with the, group, the audience today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we were talking about this as, as a, you know, a group a little bit. Uh, S&P 500 ended the year up about 18%. When you start to slice and dice, you know, the S&P 500, just about five stocks, a handful of stocks provided most of the return. Apple provided, for example, about 4% of the 18% return last year. I mean, it's, it's crazy what Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, you take into a consideration a few, you know, the first four, five, six stocks from a capitalization weighting perspective, and they contributed 10% of the return to the 18% return of the S&P 500. So right there, you know, 
unless you own those five stocks, if you had a diversified portfolio, you didn't get what the S&P gave you because for example here, right? Um, uh, information technology was up 43% last year in the S&P 500. So S&P 500 sectors, information technology up 43%. That's contributing most of that return yet again, about 10% of the return to the S&P 500 on a, on a weighted basis. Consumer discretionary was up 33%. Communication services, which is Facebook and Google, 23%. So, you know, when you take into consideration the capital capitalization weighting and the contribution, it's huge because then you go to utilities, a zero financials down almost 2% for the year, um, real estate down two, and energy down a whopping 33%. Now, energy used to be at the top of the capitalization weighting about 20 years ago, that in financials, it's flipped. Uh, and the performance flipped. And it was another one of these years where uh, big tech led the way. Growth up 33%, momentum up 28%. Your uh, you know, dividend aristocrats up 2% for the year. Value up 1% for the year approximately. Um, high dividend, uh, low vol down 9.67%. These are all subsections from a factor basis in the S&P 500. You look at... Um, you know, uh, what was it here? Um, enhanced value, like deep value down 10% last year. So the growth momentum play was the whole thing. Value, you got smoked if that's what you held. Now that script is flipped into 2021 so far. Value is leading, especially today after the Georgia runoff we had. Um, it seems like there's a, a, a very much a, a, a rotation from growth to value. And, and maybe, you know, uh, that's something that you have on the, the docket to discuss today, but that's really what's going on with markets. You know, your, your uh, 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 small and mid cap trailed last year. Uh, and if you were small and mid cap, you know, uh, value or dividend, again, you're in negative territory firmly for the year. And uh, it, it was just really, you know, carnage for the most part. You know, Don, as a follow-up to that question with Matt, uh, are investors actually doing a disservice to themselves by focusing you know, on pure index numbers when they make index or decisions to where to uh, invest their money? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the big problem is, is that uh, these top five stocks, you know, the FANG type stocks are... Uh, giving investors the illusion that the index or the market in general, the, the, the index is supposed to represent a broad 500 stocks across 11 sectors. And it's supposed to give you a good indication of the health of the economy and the help, health of corporations, that their profit and their revenue growth are, you know, positive. And in fact, because of the Fed, uh, uh, monetary policy, this new modern mon monetary policy uh, theory that we're operating under, which is zero interest rates forever, you know, Fed backstop to the markets. Every time the market goes down, the Fed comes in with a new program. Uh, and the government, you know, uh, on the fiscal uh, stimulus side has come in with, you know, the same kind of liquidity operation that the Fed is using. You'll notice one of the big problems with, that I have with the approach to fiscal stimulus or stimulus in general that we've seen is they're giving money uh, basically to consumers to spend, right? There's not any capital that's going into 
investing in the economy. This is not an infrastructure uh, bill. So essentially the $3 trillion that we've spent is a very short term, I'm going to spend it. And it lasts about a quarter in terms of the uh, effect on the economy. But it's really like, you know, um, when I grew up, we we uh, had this very old house, uh, 1850s, and we had this, um, you know, gravity um, uh, toilet, you know, where the water was up on top and there was a, a, a chain and you would grab the 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 uh, the plunger handle and you would you know and and the uh, gravity would take the water down we're at, and and you know that's how you flushed it and that's exactly what we're doing with all of this fiscal stimulus and the fed monetary policy is every quarter we get a new flush and it's just gone the money evaporates um one of the things that is also happening is that the savings rate is high and we're seeing that investors aren't spending the money they're saving the money and that's even worse because we're not even getting a short-term economic growth effect from that savings you know um they're saying that uh, about half of the millennials 70 million people or so are going to take the 600 dollars checks and they're going to feed feed their gamified um robin hood account. robin hood account you know and like this is fun um, you know, this is, this is, you know, a speculative bubble that is fairly unparalleled in history, uh, very dangerous. These top five stocks that we were talking about, those FANG stocks that actually run across three different sectors, four different sectors. Um, the biggest capitalization weighted stocks like an Apple, which is 4% of the return last year of the entire index, just one stock, right? Because its capitalization weight is the largest in the world. And it and every time its uh, return is posted, it has a disproportionate effect on the index itself. Yep. Then you go to consumer discretionary. Well, Amazon is the biggest company in consumer discretionary, and it has a disproportionate effect. And you go to communication services, and you've got Google and, you know, uh, Google is uh, disproportionate in terms of its capitalization weight. These are the top capitalization weighted companies in the world. They're the, the you know, top one, two, three, four, five. And what happens is they have been doing very well in terms of the money that is being attracted to those companies because they have had growth, right? These few companies out of all of the uh, sectors and out of all of the com companies in the country have had, you know, the majority of the growth investors have put their money and there. still look like they're going to grow. Yeah. And I mean, that's great, but it's making the index look like the market's healthy. It's not, the market is a disaster and it's basically smoke and mirrors. The top five stocks had a hundred and twenty seven percent of the index return last year, which means that if you take the other 495 stocks, they had negative return by capitalization weight. And that tells me that the market isn't doing all that well. We call it internal dynamics. And so the internal dynamics of the market, where there's only a few stocks that are doing very well, that have given the index this illusion of positive return, are confusing investors that everything is fine. And yes, those stocks are fine and everything else isn't. And when, if there is a reconciliation, people wake up to the fact 
that the Fed policy and the government policy is um, not bogus. not tuned, right? It's bogus. It's not tuned the right way. And, um, you know, we're not channeling the, uh, the money into infrastructure spending. And we haven't put enough money invested into the economy and economic growth and rebuilding infrastructure. Once we get there, then I'll have a very positive outlook, long-term outlook on what the economy is going to do. And we'll have to see that. But there has to be a change in policy. The policy that has been uh, used so far is essentially emergency disaster prevention based on you know what the fed and the government are doing every single time the market starts to go down five or ten percent the fed and the government leap into the fray to try to prevent the market from going down so consumers continue to spend because that's what drives the economy so that's a long answer rick um people are being very confused by what's going on in the market it's a speculative frenzy it's very similar to 1999 where the top tech stocks and momentum stocks had a disproportionate effect on um, the market. The top 10 stocks, uh, tech stocks in 2000 were the stocks that weren't making money uh, for, for a large part. Um, and they had uh, been bid up to the moon uh, and beyond. And when the market corrected, there was a tech wreck. Those top 10 stocks that were the high flyers on average, went down by 85% on average. Well, well, I, I remember back in 2000, AOL and the names that were so prevalent then trading at multiples of 200 times earnings, which were basically nowhere. And sitting in an office with an advisor and who was just fired by a 75-year-old woman because her variable annuity only returned 22% uh, in the prior year. And she wanted some of that net net stuff. And uh, she felt she could get a higher return. The net and, net uh, stuff. Yeah, well, yeah you know, the, I forget the name of the Munder, uh, oh, uh, not uh, the stock, Munder net net or whatever it was. And uh, we all know what happened. So uh, if I hear what you're saying, uh, there's risk out there. Uh, and we have to be concerned and we have to be selective. Uh, you know, one of the things, Don, you've always uh, brought up in conversations is what a significant percentage of GDP is represented by consumer spending. Uh, we know that investors are saving more. Uh, I saw a number that, you know, there's $1.7 trillion uh, uh, in uh, cash that has been hoarded on the uh, investor side. Uh, is the fourth quarter numbers or are the fourth quarter numbers when they come in uh, as it relates to spending and the type of uh, Christmas season everybody had, is that going to be a drastic disappointment for everybody uh, that is going to be the precursor of, you know, some realignment uh, in the equity markets? Well, I don't know what's going to cause a realignment in the equity markets because we get bad news every day that the uh, investors in the market just ignore. I mean, you know, the the coronavirus pandemic uh, with increasing uh, numbers of people getting sick, overwhelmed hospitals and emergency rooms, you know, the new strain that is, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, voracious and vicious than 
you know, the last one, especially um, for young people, younger people are getting um, uh, sicker. And, and, you know, we have an increase in the number of people dying. I saw a statistic the other day that we're up to almost 4% um, uh, uh, death rate. Uh, and, you know, in uh, March and, and April and May, we were under two. about 2%, yeah. just under 2%. So the death rate is doubled. And I don't think people are really paying attention you know, to what's going yeah, on me- so much. Media so, mentions of COVID are down like dramatically, like 70% in terms of news stories on COVID, uh, TV, you know, uh, coverage, so on and so forth. So it feels better, but the virus is still raging. You know, we have vaccines and that vaccines are, you know, uh, good. It, it, the, the current, um, you know, if you think about it this way, the, the, uh, the pandemic is raging, right? And the vaccines are going to get out over the next couple of quarters. And those vaccines will have absolutely no effect on this high death rate that we have for the next two, three months. Right. And, you know, uh, England shut down their economy again. Um, You know, we have more and more countries that are starting to shut their economy down. If we do that again in the U.S., we're going to have more damage to the underlying economy. Um, you know, we haven't recovered yet. So, you know, there is a lot of risk out there uh, yeah, they risk just... that has been completely ignored and the markets continue to go higher. And again, it makes it makes people feel good, which is what the Fed and the government are trying to do. Let's make everybody feel happy, happy. You know, let's be happy, happy. Akuna Matata, you know, um, so, uh, you know, happy days are here. The problem is that there is, uh, you know, as, as a fiduciary for investors, somebody who's supposed to be prudently um, watching out for investor capital, you know, um, and you're the investment manager, you got to be scared to death here. This is really a dangerous period. And it's very similar to 1929 before the stock market collapsed. It's very similar to 2000 before the tech bubble burst. Um, and we have, you know, uh, bubbles in real estate pricing. We have, uh, you know, uh, basically bubbles in everything but materials. I think we did one of these episodes a couple of years ago, bubbles, bubbles everywhere. Yeah. And, and it's gotten worse, not better. Yeah. And, you know, the bubbles haven't, haven't burst yet. And, you know, that's the thing that's been stunning to us. That's the thing that has surprised us is that, you know, the bubbles started to try to burst in, uh, last March when the market started to collapse. And the Fed leapt into the fray and made all the clouds go away. And the bubbles. No, that, that, that seems to be a consistent pattern. Uh, you know, this last, you know, 10, 11 years, it, it's been very interesting to watch. And there's been, uh, once again, I think, a revival of what's well, different this time. It's a new paradigm. Uh, and I, I think, you know, investors and advisors both have gotten a little complacent with uh, you know, these flash corrections with the expectation that an old bear market just can't happen anymore. Uh, headline dominance, we know affects the markets. Uh, today, we've got an especially interesting day. The Georgia Senate races uh, looks like they're uh, going to rearrange the control of the Senate. Uh, we've got the electoral college certification today. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got Brexit. Uh, We've got uh, the uh, uh, apparent new defense secretary uh, making comments to the effect that Taiwan's really not our business. 
uh, that whatever's going to happen there is going to happen, uh, that we maybe need to back away from a strong defense alliance with Australia. Uh, all the things that we saw moving forward uh, are coming to a screeching halt. But what I'm confused by is the markets historically have tended to favor divided government. Uh, you know, today we opened up down, now we're back up. Uh, you know, the Dow's rallying, the NASDAQ got hit a little bit, but uh, is this different this time? Uh, uh, does and do the Rick. markets, yes. Yeah, Rick, I mean, the small uh, 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 to Russell 2000 trade, which is your small and mid cap stocks, they're up 5% today. That's an indication that the uh, markets, investors are favoring this idea of a huge infrastructure spend. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know. Yeah, value. So Russell 2000 value is up that 5%. Much. 5%. Uh, Russell 2000's up 3.75% currently, but value, as Don was saying, up 5% today. And here's a headline. Uh, Russell 2000 value. On the other side, you know, bond investors are going to get killed here. And, and, and one of the reasons why I say that is the 10 year bond for the first time that I can remember just recently is above 1%. We've been below 1% forever. Mm -hmm. We're at 1.05% today. I mean, that's a huge jump. It, you know, we got a 10% increase in yield today, you know, 50 basis points increase in yield and, you know, like, holy moly, uh, I'm sorry, five basis points in increase in yield and you know this is this is something that um if the interest rates go up because they're expecting this huge infrastructure spend or uh uh fiscal stimulus policy it's actually a 10 basis point increase today yeah 10 it, it's just you know to me uh again um there there's uh some risk and there'll be some realignment here uh rick you know i mean but uh russell uh 2000 value index, as I said, is up 5.02% as we're speaking. Yeah, and the NASDAQ's up 30 basis points. It's a, a almost noon on the East Coast, Wednesday, January 6th here. So that's a data that we're using. But I mean, there's definitely, it seems a shift going on. Big reallocation of capital. Uh, to Take it out of tech, put it into uh, small and mid cap value. Because the government's going to, as you were going to say, step back in here. They're going to refill the gravy tray. It's like Thanksgiving, right? Um, but you, you got more, you know, going for a second round of stuffing, you're going to need some more gravy, right? So, uh, government's going to, you know, provide some more stimulus stuffing and they're going to sprinkle a little infrastructure gravy on top. So well, if, if they put some infra money into infrastructure, which is long-term capital committed, then, um, I'd support the move in the Russell, uh, 2000 value index. If they're going to continue, as I said, to flush this money down the toilet, in giveaways yeah giveaways don't have it, staying it, power it's not going to do anything for us got to do the infrastructure we'll, we'll have to we'll have to continue to you know uh blow up the uh budget deficit by three four trillion dollars every year from now until you know the whole thing goes in kaboom mm -hmm. so i know you've been a proponent of of uh, capital infrastructure spend if i hear what you're saying you know small and mid-sized companies are going to benefit enormously from uh, that equation. They, they depend on economic growth to do well. So small and mid-sized companies depend on economic growth, not just on spending. Spending is disproportionately going 
to those top few companies like an Amazon, like a Walmart, you know, like a Target. That's where the money is going. And, and it's not going anyplace else. And so, um, you know, small and mid cap companies, small and mid cap retailers, they don't benefit from this kind of spending. It's gotcha. when, pe when people, you know, uh, are, are making more money, we get 20 million people off of unemployment. You know, we get that number down dramatically because you have, uh, you know, uh, increased the amount of jobs that are being uh, available. You know, that that's what this is all about. Yeah. You know? That's what infrastructure spending can do. It, it creates a, a virtual cycle or virtuous cycle of economic growth across every sector and it just adds a lot of economic momentum yeah. uh, that we don't have today. The labor participation rate's currently 60, 61%. So, you know, we were prior to this almost 64%, if, I, if I'm right. So, yeah. And if you go back five years, it was much higher 67%, than that. 67%, you know. So um, there's a lot of people, you know, unemployed. And, and since, you know, 2000, um, it seems that there's been some structural unemployment issues that may not make it onto, you know, the way that, uh, you know, the Fed actually accounts for the labor to participation rate. It seems just like there's a lot of, you know, working age people, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, included in the number. So anyway, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens. How are other developed countries, Europe, uh, Pacific Rim, are they in better shape coming out of this coronavirus pandemic than we are, or are we still in the best position? You know, I'm always confused by the uh, uh, insistence by, you know, the talking heads on uh, the financial news shows and uh, the media in general, that the place to invest is in Europe. Uh, the place to invest is in Asia. I can understand maybe China and uh, the countries that are around China. Yep, uh, one maybe of the, India. One of the things that uh, concerns me greatly, what you were uh, mentioning earlier, is that the uh, uh, policies that uh, Trump administration put into place to kind of check China's growth, check them a little bit, uh, seems like we're going to undo those. And, uh, you know, China is going to become more and more dominant. And, you know, they don't play fair. They don't play fair. Right, they're not, they're not a fair player in the uh, capitalist uh, world economy. Um, uh, and so uh, that's a dangerous thing for us as a country. Yep. And, and that could be very quickly within three or four or five years become a uh, real quagmire uh, that's going to be almost impossible to unwind. And there, there could be a geopolitical realignment too. You know, uh, Britain just launched for the first time in decades its first aircraft carrier, and they have intentions of sailing it to the South China Sea pretty much immediately uh, on its first cruise. So, uh, you know, Britain's going to flex its muscles. If we're not going to flex our muscles, if Britain's going to flex their muscles, um, you know, um, that might mean we have to flex our muscles with them. So, I mean, it, it's it's a dicey situation in that regard. There's a lot of risk out there. Yeah, if you look at the, uh, you know, just the, uh, you know, government debt, um, you know, the deficits to GDP worldwide, uh, the U.S. is still in very good shape relative to most of the other major developed economies in the world. We're still under um, a one-to-one -one debt to uh, GDP. Um, and, uh, you know, as an example, Great Britain is probably close to three-to-one or four-to-one 
uh, debt to GDP. And they grow, they're growing slower than we are. Uh, Europe has been growing slower than us. And so I don't understand the investment theme, you know, except for maybe, you know, their markets aren't quite as overvalued as, as ours. And it's because they don't have those top five or 10 fang type stocks in their marketplace. You know, that's not what's pushing their indexes. And, you know, really most of that money has come here. Mm -hmm. And so those markets may be somewhat undervalued. But when you look at you know, the small and mid cap trade, um, really undervalued you know, too. in the U S um, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, average investment in uh, a lot of those areas that about a, a 10 or 11 PE multiple, which is historically low. Yeah. So there's plenty of bargains and value in the United States because that, that those, you know, value stocks have not really moved in price relative to what, you know, the S and P 500 index is done yep. because of those five Fang stocks and Europe and uh, Japan have an age uh, problem. Uh, their, their societies are aging. So you have a, a demographic, a you have a de demographic growth problem for demographics, number one, but number two, as people age, they spend less money typically. So, you know, without another population to have a growing wage base and spend more money and stuff like that, that's going to be challenging probably from those, for those economies from a, a headwind perspective. So, you know, if you just look at the, uh, the, the world got more insular and less open, uh, all of those economies that have a, um, uh, a demographic problem, a very older age, uh, average population base are export driven economies. Yep. And because the United States has become a little bit more insular and we're buying less from other countries. And that's the same that, that goes for Europe. Europe's buying less than what they were. Those export driven countries are going to have less growth, not more growth. And so again, I don't understand the thesis for investing you know, as a priority outside the United States. I think that in the U.S., there's tremendous opportunity if you can invest selectively. Yeah, yep. Do you, do you think corporate America is already preparing and making plans for a 5 or 8% tax increase at the corporate level? Or, uh, you know, maybe there's some sanity involved in, in not uh, messing with that initially until we come out of this. Well, Rick, you know, that's a good point. Um, think about this. When we got the uh, corporate tax cut, we had a big rally on Wall Street. Companies essentially were repriced, right? Uh -huh. Because they had more earnings. We added from, um, you know, an, an average tax rate of say 35% for corporations. And we went down to 20 or 25%. We had a big increase in earnings and companies, you know, we had a big boost in uh, market prices for most companies that happened like that. If, uh, you know, the Biden administration reverses course and increases tax, you're going to have the exact same reaction in the opposite. And the market is going to take a complete header. And what has been happening is the fed will try to come in and bail that out. Can you imagine creating bad policy on the tax side and then having the U.S. taxpayer trying to fight that trend with more stimulus and monetary policy spending, that is hugely bad policy, but that is exactly what we expect to happen. But when do they run out of the gravy is the question. Yeah, and, I mean, and, once you get on the hamster mill or treadmill, uh, you know, it, there's no going back or yep. it's you can't do it without pain. 
Um, when does when does the U.S. taxpayer say enough is enough? You guys are bankrupting uh, me and my and and our country, and this policy that you have is a bunch of BS. And at that point, that's the inflection point that we're very worried about. You know, what I'd like to do is just spend a minute before we wrap up today and share with you what we're going to talk about in our next episode is where do you perceive the risk in the fixed income trade over the next six to 12 months? Uh, we know people need income, uh, dividends, uh, bonds, that's where they go. Uh, but what do they need to watch out for? What do they need to pay attention to? You know, uh, quality of, of what you own is really important, especially if you're looking for income in retirement. You know, you want to make sure that uh, the, the companies are going to be able to meet their debt obligations or, you know, be able to pay the dividend. And that's historically what we've looked for. It's, you know, number one, always protect capital. You want to buy high quality stuff. Cash flow is king in retirement. And, and uh, you know, you need a little inflation protection growth to keep pace long term. You know, focusing on the index isn't the way to go. Um, you know, that's you're going to make mistakes if if your goal is is cash flow. And, and there's going to be a risk there in that companies may not be able to meet those debt obligations, depending on how long coronavirus continues the last year. The corporate debt bubble has expanded and ballooned exponentially in recent years especially on the junk side so there's more junk debt than there ever has been before mm -hmm. as a percentage of corporate debt out there um so matt is 100 percent right i think that the um you know over the next uh six to 12 months you can have a realignment of interest rates and interest rates move higher which is bad for bond holders because as interest rates move higher typically prices move lower um, that's the relationship that you have Yep. as prices rise, corporate, uh, bond prices fall. But, you know, I think that the idea you, you of mean interest rates rise, interest rates, is, rise. as interest rates rise, bond prices fall Yep. as, as, uh, but I think the idea of significantly increasing interest rates, you know, a real paradigm shift, the higher interest rates because of inflation is completely misplaced mm -hmm. as long as the fed has to continue to support the liquidity. We're going to have a very low interest rate environment, this, you know, zero type interest rate uh, uh, situation. We really have a deflationary trend that is going to be very difficult to overcome and will take years from a, a growth standpoint to build enough inflation, you know, or growth and price momentum to essentially cause interest rates structurally to move higher for a long period of time. I think that's going to, that's four or five years out, even if we get very high growth rates off of a massive infrastructure spend. And the reason being is, you know, in 2019, um, we had a trillion dollar deficit spend by the government to keep the government running. Uh, this year in 2020, we're going to have a three and a half trillion dollar deficit spend. So three and a half times what we spent last year. And that's not going to slow down in 2021. We're going to continue with this unbelievably high, scary debt increase for the next few years. And when you have debt being added on top, that takes money out of the system as you pay the interest cost, even at low rates. 
Now, as rates tick up, it costs more for the government to finance that debt. And that's a really bad thing. And that is essentially going to slow down growth in itself. And so you have all of these, you know, counterbalances in the system. And it's going to, it's very difficult to see, you know, uh, long-term how this all reconciles and we'll just have to wait. Mm -hmm. Wait, One last, one last question. Uh, Identify a threat and an opportunity that each of you feel strongly about uh, that the market is presenting us today. Matt. Um, you know, I think an opportunity is on the undervalued side, you know, industrials, materials, uh, energy. Um, if we do get an infrastructure spend, that could be a, a, a great opportunity. I think the threat, as, as we've said, really, really high prices here, uh, especially for, um, you know, some of the top of the market, which has been driving the market recently and an, a, any number of things could cause that to uh, unravel. And so that's the real big threat is there are a lot of risks out there that could cause, you know, um, market leadership to, uh, to crumble. And, and you have to know what you own and you have to, you know, identify what those opportunities and strike while the iron's hot and be patient. Big, th- big threat is, uh, you know, a realignment of uh, uh, government policy, government policy uh, in the last administration Trump administration was to try to find growth and to bring growth back to the US. From what I've seen, a much more liberally biased uh, Democratic administration is looking for a redistribution of wealth as a top priority, tax the rich, tax the corporations, break up the largest corporations, the most successful companies that in, we in have. the world, the right? ones that are growing the best, we're going to break them up. We're going yeah, to break we're, them up. We're, we're going we're, we're to make them so that they won't grow. Um, you know, this idea. So anytime you get redistribution of wealth as a uh, theme, um, it is really bad for a capitalist system. And you saw this with Microsoft, you know, 20 years ago. They they wanted to break Microsoft up, cratered the stock price, and, and it, it didn't and get it, back to even for 20 years. Yeah, it took it, it took it 15 years just to get back on a growth path. So, you know, there is there is a, a I believe really bad policy coming for uh, the markets and a capitalist system. And uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, you know, to overcome that. And when you get that bad policy with all of these push and pull offsets, it's uh, harder to see how we navigate positively uh, through this over the long term. Well, it sounds to me like what both of you are saying is now more than ever, is the time for an actively managed approach uh, to investing rather than just jumping on the passive trade. Uh, What we hope to do in episode 96, gentlemen, is uh, talk about the massive march that continues uh, the baby boomers towards retirement. And as you alluded to earlier, the millennials who throw caution to the wind and are just investing in every index that they possibly can uh, with no focus on risk. Uh, And we'll discuss, is that a good idea? Uh, Do you have to balance uh, that approach much as the senior uh, pre-retiree and soon to be and retired person has to do as they construct their portfolios? Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll look forward to talking about, you know, uh, meeting the helping uh, growth investors meet those objectives as well as retirees. 
Hey, Rick, thanks for joining the yeah, show. Yeah, thanks, man. And, that was great. Uh, very good. Real smooth, dude. Yep. Yep. Happy to be here. So awesome. Uh, I look forward to episode 96. And my best friend Don is now going to be rooting for Ohio State with me. And we're out. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stocks discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all of the time, and there is always the possibility of loss. You should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or any other investment professional. If you have questions regarding the applicability of specific issues discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or your chosen professional advisor. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. WBI's advisory operations services and fees are in the form ADV available upon request. You are not permitted to publish, transmit, or otherwise reproduce this information in whole or in part in any format to any third party without the express written consent of WBI Investments, Inc.